This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. So, here we are once again at the start of yet another month with not much prospect prospect of salvation on the holiday horizon while much of the country was soaked in torrential rain over the weekend. Some of us were trying desperately to work out if anything was possible regarding going absolutely anywhere. Now some Tory MPs are kicking off about what is likely to happen next when the government decides to make life even more difficult for hard-working families to get away because we're being told right now that it looks like uh, Spain is going to be put on the Amber Plus list. It looks like Greece is going to be put into the danger zone in some way. It's almost as if they don't really want you to go anywhere until the school holidays come to an end. We're going to be talking to Andrew Bridget first up about why Boris Johnson and Grant Shapps are so determined to keep us away from travelling. And also, travel guru Simon Calder from The Independent will be here with the latest news from the front line. 0344-499-1000 is the number. Coming up later on, Peter Hitchens is here after a weekend of admonishment uh, following an apology that the Mail on Sunday was forced to publish about something that he wrote about masks. And we'll be asking for his take on the latest madness emanating from Downing Street. We'll also be telling you about a new COVID medal you can get just for doing your job in the NHS, despite the fact that people are now being forced to go private because they can't get the operation that they actually need. And as ever, we need to hear from you. What are you doing? Where are you going? Uh, What are you being told? What's been happening in your neck of the woods? Because you tell us and we tell absolutely everybody else. 0344 499 1000. We'll also bring you up to date with the oil tanker uh, attacked by Iran. And Lewis McLeod is here as well, the man of a million voices and quite a few faces. Also, I'll be asking the question, what is the point of the Olympics if people are going to share medals? There were two high jumpers who decided they loved each other so much and it was such a close competition uh, that they should both share the gold medal. What a load of old tosh. What on earth are they thinking? Well, they just give everybody a gold medal for turning up. Great. Marvellous. Well done for getting to Japan. Here's your gold medal. Now you can hop it and go home. Tremendous. Save us all a lot of time and an awful lot of money. 0344 499 1000 is the number. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest going radio station on the planet, also now on television. The original and the best, it is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Time to say a very good morning to Andrew Bridging, Conservative MP for North West Leicestershire, a man uh, who appears on Talk Radio a reasonable amount of time, but we haven't had him on for ages. Andrew, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? I'm good. Now, for... uh, it's been a, busy, been a busy weekend. Well, I noticed that you've been uh, suffering the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. People accusing you of uh, blaming Tony Blair for not having enough uh, lorry drivers and then similarly saying, oh, Andrew Bridgen wants all lorry drivers to speak Latin, which, to be honest, is not a bad idea. Um, I'm sure that there are some MPs who have had worse ideas. But why are people so stupid on social media? Well, that's, that's because they, they neither read the tweet properly nor they read uh, the article I wrote for the Sunday Express properly. That's, that's their skim reading. So the tweet was that I was delighted that uh, state schools were uh, now going to be teaching uh, Latin because when I arrived at Nottingham University, I had to ask someone who went to a private school what the university motto meant, which mm. was... Sapienta herbs conditor, which apparently means um, 
that the city is built on wisdom. Oh, yes. Well, that's not true, is it, about Nottingham? Oh, I, I'm sorry. I, of course, I, that may hang well on, be true. Hang on, hang <laughs> on. Steady on, Mike. Steady on. Um, well, the funny thing is, I was just telling Julie Hartley Brewer, I went to a grammar school. You remember those uh, great bastions of education, which were a great idea as far as I was concerned. And I was taught Latin for four years. And then in year five, the year I was supposed to take the exam, they decided it wasn't going to be any longer part of the curriculum. So we never actually got to do a test in it, unfortunately. So you, so you did all the studying and didn't get the chance to get a qualification? No. I mean, I suppose describing me as doing all the studying in any subject is probably stretching it a bit. But, I mean, I think it, I think it does give you a grounding in languages. It does give you a sort of knowledge of English and structure uh, of language. And I, I think it's a good idea to teach it. Well, I'm, I'm told by people who've studied it that it's also very helpful as a, as a sort of template for, as you say, the basis of English and also uh, other languages in Europe. Yeah, absolutely right. But uh, the lorry driver shortage is an interesting one as well, because I heard a very interesting story from a, a, a lorry driving consultant, believe it or not, because there are such things, who was telling me that an awful lot of the lorry drivers who came from Eastern Europe um, back in the day decided uh, to put themselves on furlough when it first, uh, when, the, when the lockdown first happened. Some of them then applied for sort of bounce back loans, which they then got. Uh, and they then took the money and, and disappeared off back to wherever it was that they'd come from. Now, I'm not saying that loads of people have done that, but that's definitely that's definitely one of the one of the problems. Well, one of the problems is that for a long time, um, jobs such as lorry driving, uh, the industries relied on a constant supply of uh, new migrants from the European Union to fill vacancies. Uh, they've not invested in their existing staff. So what you've actually got, we've actually got no shortage of lorry drivers in the UK. We've got 600,000 people who are qualified to drive HGVs, but only half of them are actually active in the industry because the paying conditions aren't good enough. Yes. And that's being kept down by um, lots, you know, a constant stream of, of migrants who will put up with, with those conditions um, for a few years until they find themselves a better job. Yes, um, And I'm afraid that's... That's something to do with the, the whole of the uh, what used to be trained, the, the trades. And I think uh, since Tony Blair insisted that you know half of all 18-year-olds should go to university, and now we're in a situation where half of the people who go to university uh, end up, um, only half of them get jobs that are uh, graduate-level entry. Yes. So well, I mean, there's, there, there's aren't, a, there's there aren't a... that many. I think when I went to university, about 5% of people yeah, in the UK that's right. went to university. Now it's... 45% and there aren't there aren't nine times more graduate entry jobs. Mm. Um, if you look at a, a course like journalism, for instance, 83% of the people who do journalism at university will never be a journalist because there aren't those vacancies. Yeah. Some of them who've become journalists aren't really journalists either, Andrew, but I suppose that'll come as no surprise to you. Um, but here's, here's another thing. Um, one of the other uh, reasons I'm being told that, uh, uh, that lorry drivers are in short supply is, is because of HMRC and this ludicrous IR35 business that they've introduced, which means that they basically are telling an awful lot of people who work on a freelance basis that actually we're going to treat you as an employee and we're going to make you pay higher levels of tax as a result, which is making it unviable for an awful lot of people in many industries, including in broadcasting, actually, uh, they're making it very difficult for people to work. And, and there's all sorts of paperwork has been introduced. The EU introduced, uh, I'm, a, I'm a CPC holder, Certificate of Professional Competence Road Haulage Operations. That's the qualification to run a, a road haulage mm. fleet. Uh, and that's how I ran my business for decades. 
Now, um, in the last few years, the, the drivers themselves have to hold that qualification and responsibility at a, a lower level. Yeah. So there's more paperwork for them. And what actually happened was, you, you know, the, when your average age of your lorry driver is well in his 50s, uh, a large number of them didn't want to go back to school and get this qualification, probably only for two or three years left in the industry. So they all retired en masse as well. And we, we lost another tranche of uh, very experienced uh, drivers. Driving a large HGV is actually a very responsible job. It's a very valuable piece of equipment. It's got a cargo on there that could be hundreds of thousands of pounds. And most companies, it's the only interface they have with their customers is that interaction between the delivery driver uh, and the customer themselves. So mm. it's a hugely important job. It's uh, It's been um, underinvested in for a very long time. But there's a lot of a lot of problems in this country that... For a long time, you've been seen, if you didn't go to university, you were a failure. That is completely wrong. We need parity of esteem of the trades. And I put to your listeners, you know, when your car breaks down or your central heating breaks down, the most valuable man in the world or the woman in the world is the person who can come to your your aid and fix it for you. Um, There are huge opportunities, but these... The esteem of these these trades that we need have uh, have been reduced over the years. Um, because we've just allowed them to be replaced by a constant stream of, you know, the Polish plumber, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, those days have gone now post-Brexit, and we need to uh, skill up. Yes. Now, I can't remember the last time I had to make an emergency call uh, for somebody with a degree uh, in media studies, you know. Get round here quick, you know, for heaven's sake, help us out. But, I mean, I can tell you a story about when I used to work at the Daily Mirror, we used to have a graduate trainee scheme, which brought in quite a few esteemed people into the business. And we used to have three jobs available every year. Do you know how many applications we used to get? And this is back at the sort of, um, you know, beginning of this century. 12,000 for three jobs. And when they started work, the starting salary was about 15 grand. Well, when we voted through um, the funding for universities and the tuition fees, what I asked the government and I was promised all those years ago was that what we needed to do was give our young people the information they need to make a, an educated decision. So I was promised that we'd get for every course at every university in the UK uh, a projection from data of employability and average earnings one, five and ten years after graduation mm. so that people could look whether that course was good value for their future. Bear in mind they're taking on you know, tuition fees, £9,000 a year, huge amount of uh, potential debt. Obviously, if people still want to say, well, I just want to study this subject just because I'm interested in it, but they're perfectly at liberty to do that. It's their money, it's their future. But give these young people at 18 uh, the information they need to make an educated decision on whether that university course is good value mm. for money. And at the same time, we need to improve the prestige uh, of the trades um, that we need, the skills that we need. Um, and the fact is, if you've got the highest level of apprenticeship, your average earnings over your lifetime are exactly the same mm. as the uh, as the average graduate. Yes. Um, people need to realise that. Yes, of course. And as, as, as if we wouldn't have expected this to happen as well, Andrew, I mean, many of these universities have just jumped up technical schools, jumped up sort of polytechnics, as they used to be known. You know, the University of North London used to be known as North London Poly. And I know that because I used to play them at ping pong. The point is that, you know, a lot of them have just become businesses and a lot of them are not performing in any way close to what they're supposed to be doing. Many of them still not even having students back in lecture theatres. Many of them just doing stuff online 
going. A lot of the, the lecturers doing about six months' work a year. I mean, it's an absolute shambles, the whole system. Well, the fact that you could you could potentially charge the same tuition fees for a degree in engineering as in media studies mm. or something else is bizarre. There's no marketplace there. Surely um, the courses the courses that are the most employable, uh, they, they would be worth £9,000, but courses where you, your employment prospects and earning capacity were considerably less, surely the universities wouldn't be able to charge uh, as much. Um, that, surely, that was the whole idea of how tuition fees would work, mm. that there'd be you know, variable prices for different courses depending on the demand from the students. But we've just packed the universities out and people are just happy to go to university and, and, and get that degree. As we know now, half of them will not find a degree entry job when they finish university. No. And people, that's fine if people know that before they start on the course and get themselves into that position. All they need is, the young people need, is enough information to make an educated decision, and it's up to them. Yeah, absolutely. Andrew, stay with us for a moment. We're just going to take a short break. Andrew Bridgins here, Conservative MP for North West Leicestershire. We want to talk to you about travel. We want to talk to you about the COVID passport situation as well, the vaccine passports that people uh, are suggesting the government wants to bring in. I still think it won't happen. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray. On Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Many of you are uh, being very complimentary about Andrew Bridge. And Andrew, you'll be not used to uh, people actually enjoying what you're talking about and saying you're making perfect sense because obviously having spent the weekend on Twitter, uh, you would imagine that everybody uh, was a complete and utter maniac. Well, as, as, as we know, if, uh, <laughs> if Twitter were reality and mainstream public opinion... I wouldn't have a 20,400 majority in North West Leicestershire, would I? Um, a, no. seat that I took from, a seat that I took from Labour 11 years ago. Yes, and it doesn't look like they're going to get it back anytime soon either, by the way. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the Tory majority because a lot of people are not that happy with Boris Johnson at the moment uh, because of this vaccine passport business. You're one of the backbench MPs, I think, who's going to stand up against it. Uh, we're not really sure what Keir Starr was going to do. First, he said he was going to vote against them. Uh, then he said he might vote with them uh, as long as there was other uh, measures brought in as well. What's your view of where the vaccine passports are going to go? Well, I think we're conflating two issues which we need to separate. Um, I can't object to uh, international travel being mandated by other countries under their rules that if you want to travel to their country, if they say you've got to be proof of double vaccination, that's their business. There's nothing we can do about that. Mm. But the, the matter of domestic uh, vaccine passports for UK citizens to um, go to nightclubs or uh, attractions or whatever, um, that is an anathema to me. I think it's... It, a very authoritarian step, uh, which I, I would object to. I think we've uh, we've got the uh, level of infection falling. 93% of adults have got antibodies now. If we can't get out of this uh, with our level of vaccination ongoing, um, I think there's very little hope for the world of, uh, of ever getting out of these um, restrictions. Yes. Uh, and that's not a world that I really want to contemplate living in, quite honestly. It's, well, it's a horrendous situation. I've been deeply uncomfortable with a lot of the things that we've, the government will claim they've had to do and the, the freedoms we've taken away during the pandemic. And now that we seem to be coming out of it, to be going for vaccine passports domestically, um, well, it, it's, it smacks of East German-European yeah. uh, oppression. Uh, and that's not the Conservative Party that I know and love. No, exactly right. I mean, Lord Sumption was on with Julia this morning and he said there is more to life than the avoidance of death. And I think that's a very wise Well, I've said, I've said many times, we, we can't live in a country where, or exist in a country where 
where the government says that no one's allowed to die, mm. but because of that, no one's allowed to live. Um, we've got a whole generation of young people who are having their lives scarred by these horrendous restrictions. Um, and we need to get to, if we've got to live with, with COVID, we've got to live with COVID. We've got fantastic vaccination levels. We were told that we're going to hit herd immunity originally, what, 65% of the population? Yeah. Then it's 75. It appears now to be 95% of the population we're heading for. Um, and quite honestly, if young people who are healthy uh, and are going to have no problems other than a bit of a, a not feeling too well for two days get COVID and, and get their natural resistance, um, that's not the worst thing in the world now, is it? Well, it really isn't. And I think the point is, is we need to pivot. We need to change the attitude in Downing Street. And I hope that Sajid Javid was kind of on the way to doing that uh, a little while back, where, you know, you do have to take account of the numbers of people dying. Yes, but you also have to look at who they are. And we still don't really get told that. But I'm assuming that that hasn't changed very much. And most of the people who are dying are either those with underlying health conditions uh, and or those who are over the age of 80. Now, nobody's saying that that's uh, a good thing. But it's certainly not a reason to withhold freedom from everybody else. Well, well, sadly, I think sixteen on average sixteen hundred people pass pass away every day in the UK. Yeah. That that is a fact of life. Unfortunately, we all have to to, to live with. Um, and these are people now being so so many are dying with COVID. That's within twenty eight days. There was a report out the weekend that at least at least twenty five percent of the people who have been put down as dying with mm. COVID after, within 28 days were actually admitted to hospital for other reasons. For something else, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, so at the end of the day, if we can't get out of this crisis, uh, there is little hope for the rest of the world. And the rest of the world will be watching us, Mike. And if we're going to bring in draconian measures such as, uh, can you show me your papers, mm. please, uh, as a result in, in, in what the, the mother of, of Parliament's and, and uh, the home of democracy, that will be a very dark day for the for the rest of uh, of humanity. No, I agree. So do you and your colleagues think that you can defeat it, Andrew? Well, that all depends what the Labour Party do. And, uh, you, you know, they, they flop around uh, uh, like weather vanes. I mean, I think it was Tony, Tony Benn that told me that there were two types of politician. There are signposts who stand in all weathers and, and point the way for the nation. Mm. And there are weather vanes that spin with the political wind. And What's clear is that Keir Starmer and his party, they spin with the political wind. So I can't rely on them. But what I can promise your listeners is I can only guarantee there'll be one MP who'll be voting against domestic yeah. uh, COVID passports. I think there'll be enough Conservatives, if we have the opposition with us, to defeat the government. And in which case, one would hope that the government wouldn't go there. Yeah. Um, it, it does appear to me that they're now uh, pivoting away from uh, what I would pass as aggressive coercion, which, let's face it, from my experience, that doesn't work with young people. If you try and push mm. people to do something, you tend to get a backlash. Mm. Um, so now they, they appear now to be uh, incentivizing them with uh, with some freebies. Um, I think I think the government will be very ill-advised to try and bring these measures in. And of course, a, a, a concern of mine is that under the uh, Coronavirus Emergency Powers Act 2020, under Section 22, it does talk about the ability to restrict access to venues. Well, I mean, the government were to even contemplate bringing these measures in as serious as they are without actually having a vote in Parliament. Um, that would be a defining moment for 
Boris Johnson's premiership and this government, I think. Yes, I think that's right. And it wouldn't be a good one. As no, far it as wouldn't. And I, I think, Andrew, you'll certainly get the vote of all the people listening to this show because uh, we need people like you to say those things. And that's great. Thank you very much indeed. Andrew Bridgen, uh, who says he will vote against vaccine passports. No question. Uh, no questions asked. And absolutely no doubt about it whatsoever. Conservative MP for North West Leicestershire. I wish there were more people like him. And we wouldn't be facing this ludicrous situation, this crazy state of affairs. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray. On Talk Radio. Right now, though, let's talk to Rob Clark, Defence Policy Associate at the Henry Jackson Society, because you might have seen uh, uh, over the weekend a rather alarming story uh, about uh, an attack on an oil tanker by Iran, it would seem. Uh, and we're going to try and find out why The Times this morning uh, has written a leader saying Tehran's terror tactics, Iran's drone attack on the tanker, is intended to sabotage talks on the easing of sanctions. It's still pretty tense uh, between Iran and some of the other countries in the Middle East, in the Gulf particularly. Let's find out why. Rob, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Tell us what happened, first of all, and then we can get into the reasons of why it happened. Sure. So uh, the facts are actually still relatively unknown. Um, all we do know is the MV Mercer uh, Street, which is a, um, a London-based Israeli uh, owned um, uh, tanker. Uh, it was passing through international waters just off uh, just off Oman, um, and uh, Thursday last Thursday on the 29th in the evening, it sustained one or more um, attacks against it um, from uh, from UAV drone technology. Um, this is almost certainly um, from the uh, from the Iranian government. Both uh, Israeli, British, and actually American intelligence uh, have all strongly. Uh, hinted at that or or stated it almost it's, it's almost a foregone conclusion interesting there's no word yet from uh, tehran there's no official response uh, there often aren't in the aftermath of these attacks um but it's important to consider um when when appropriate uh, appropriating blame for instance that this is the fourth such attack against an israeli tanker on israeli owned tanker since february um and it just points into a long line a uh, long history of, uh, of these attacks uh, using iranian uh, uav drone technology Yes, exactly right. And it's not the first time, is it, that uh, the Iranians have been implicated in this kind of activity in the, in the Gulf? There was a, a tanker, was there not, uh, that was held hostage for a while, which was thought to have been involving uh, some Iranian group or other. Um, it's still quite tense in this part of the world, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I think this feeds into the wider picture as well of the uh, the, uh, the nuclear deal, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. So, there's several there's several things going on all at once here. Um, in terms of the the Iranian nuclear deal, there's still the talks going on in Vienna uh, between uh, between Britain, America, Russia, um, and uh, and obviously the the Israelis themselves. Um, now this is important to consider when any response to this sort of incident um, by by the UK, um, you know what sort of implications that will have for for the Iranian nuclear deal. Um, the nuclear deal has been failing for the last uh, five or six years. That's well catalogued. Um, and in all honesty, the deal has only emboldened Iran to take um, further security measures like this, for instance. Yes, exactly right. And um, given that uh, there was a, a casualty who was actually a British national as well, Dominic Raab has got involved in this. And what can Dominic Raab actually do? I mean, he's obviously warning Tehran not to do it again. Uh, play, he's planning, uh, saying that there could be a response from Britain. What, what's within his kind of um, locker, if you like, to do? Sure. So, because of the the severity of the attack and the, like you mentioned, the the loss of life to a British national, uh, a British security guard, um, there remains a whole host of uh, policies. Interestingly, like I say, this will be uh, curtailed slightly, I believe, 
um, you know, when one considers the, uh, the, the the wider issues at play regarding the nuclear deal. Uh, but for instance, these these policies range from all the way at the bottom, which is what we're already seeing, which is harsh diplomatic language. Now, clearly, an incident like this needs more of a uh, an official response than just uh, merely a diplomatic uh, diplomatic language. Mm. Um, now, this could go all the way up to escalating to uh, hard military strikes against uh, Iranian infrastructure, which is used to launch these. Uh, UAV uh, attacks. Um, it's, it's quite. Uh, it's quite clear. You can see sort of the range of these attacks, um, and you can you can quite accurately estimate uh, the, uh, the 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 infrastructure itself that's used uh, in Iran uh, to launch the attacks from. So uh, launching successful attacks against uh, these uh, these facilities is relatively uh, easy for the, for British, America, and uh, Israel to to conduct. But that would likely uh, obviously lead to uh, escalatory attacks by uh, by Iran so that must be factored in um, but then there's also the the sort of the gray area the more shadow space which is something that Israel are particularly good at which is for example hitting um, uh, hitting around in the uh, in the digital and the cyber area um, now with regards to the the British response uh, there's been a relatively uh, there's, there's been a few weak messages for example the, the Minister for Digital Infrastructure Matt Warman stated that Iran must do better now this this is just simply not a good enough response. I mean, why why must Iran do better? Mm. Um, the UK have long appeased Iran on security measures, and this really is the time now where hopefully the UK can actually see the the hard facts staring in its face, staring it in the face, yeah. and actually take proper action. Yeah, exactly right. And Joe Biden's not going to be very much help, is he? Because obviously he's reversed the Trump administration's kind of uh, ending of uh, any nuclear deal. He's going back the other way, isn't he? Exactly. So you've got this uh, almost hubris uh, sort of American diplomatic effort, um, which is trying to uh, trying to salvage the nuclear deal at all costs. And like I mentioned earlier, the nuclear deal has only emboldened the Iranian regime uh, to act in increasingly unpredictable and destructive ways, which manifest ultimately now in the loss of British life. Yes, quite. And as far as Israel is concerned, I mean, in days gone by when Netanyahu was in charge, they might have responded a little bit more dramatically than they have so far. What do you think uh, is in their minds? I think the Israeli response has been quite good, actually, from uh, from the Prime Minister. Um, he, he's mentioned the fact that there will be a retaliation, uh, a retaliation in response. Um, and I think, importantly for Britain, what uh, the recent government's integrated review from March affords the British uh, policy um, going forward to Iran is almost a complete, um, you know, fresh, fresh look and a fresh take. You know, the integrated review states that Britain must be working increasingly more so in this area with uh, regional allies, including Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and of course Israel. And when one considers the range of policy options that Israel uh, traditionally uh, undertake against uh, against Iran, this actually affords great uh, flexibility and leverage for Britain uh, to act increasingly more in our interests and not merely just trying to appease Iran. And I think, uh, you know, the, the way Israel responds to these instances um, is certainly one to look at. And is there likely to be any sort of British naval involvement? Because there was a case, I think, as I said earlier, uh, about that other oil tanker where the Navy went into the Gulf to sort of do a bit of patrolling and safeguarding. Is there any, any likelihood of that, do you think? Well, interestingly, we've just had the carrier strike group uh, recently leave the Gulf uh, a few weeks ago on its route to, uh, to the Indo-Pacific. But the UK maintain uh, vast uh, naval facilities uh, across the Middle East and increasingly in the uh, international maritime security construct. Um, now, for instance, developing this further in the light of this attack, um, the Royal Navy can, or, or rather the British government, but the Royal Navy can certainly increase counter UAV batteries and increase surveillance measures. Um, and these surely must now be added to our defence footprint at strategic locations in order to intercept these Israeli drones. You know, this is this is a pattern of behaviour now from uh, from Iran, 
using UAV drones launched from Iran crossing uh, the Strait of Hormuz and across into the Arabian Gulf to attack British, American, Israeli, and even UAE interests. Um, and, uh, you know, when this type of incident um, is allowed to carry on occurring without those actual forceful measures put in place, then Iran will surely see no, 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 no reason to uh, alternate its behaviour. No, quite. Rob, thanks very much indeed for your time. Rob Clark, Defence Policy Associate at the Henry Jackson Society on the news, which actually has made the front page of the Daily Mirror this morning. UK warns Iran killers fury after tanker attack. It is still a very dangerous part of the world. Iran is still not under control by any means, shape or form, uh, attacking people uh, from this country, killing indeed a British national uh, in their drone attack on this particular tanker. So we'll be watching it uh, with some interest. The Times this morning uh, have got a leader on it, basically saying... Uh, it's time to call uh, Mr. Raisi's bluff, shut down the talks and prepare for a new and long confrontation with Iran. Uh, so that is certainly not going to make the world a particularly safe place. But again, uh, you might blame Joe Biden for getting himself into this position because Iran, uh, of course, under Donald Trump's administration, were very much cowed very much uh, under the thumb and were very much doing what they were told. Now, uh, because Joe Biden has given them permission to do so, uh, they've now started attacking people again. Great, isn't it? The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. And now time to say a very good morning to Mr Peter Hitchens. Peter, how are you doing? Well, so far, so good, thank you. Right. Uh, suitably admonished, I take it, by Ipso uh, for your ghastly and ludicrous opinion um, that the mask-wearing uh, study in Denmark actually said uh, that there wasn't really very much difference in wearing one or not. Yeah, I, the fascinating thing about this, I should point out here that most people wouldn't even know it happened if I hadn't taken very energetic steps to publicise it yesterday, uh, because you, you're probably aware that an Ipso ruling is published in the newspaper, uh, in our case, on page two mm. uh, at the bottom. It didn't name me. Uh, it's written in, well, as I say, uh, it's, it's not perhaps the most uh, <laughs> most enthralling part of the Mail on Sunday, which is, as you know, an enthralling newspaper. It is. So I drew attention to it because it seemed to me that the Press Standards Organization, which is, is a body whose existence I defend because the alternative is almost certainly government regulation, uh, has moved into the regulation of opinion. Uh, I had uh, I've written in the Mail on Sunday two things about, uh, about the Danish mask study, which eventually was, was published after much delay last November. Uh, the first one was a factual account, uh, which has not been challenged or criticised. The second was a very brief sideswipe at it in the middle of an article about about Facebook and censorship, mm. interestingly enough. And it, it, actually, the words were in brackets. And yet this has led to this extraordinary, uh, this extraordinary censure. We have, there's not an apology. It's just the, the, the paper is under the terms of its agreement with it. So uh, we're obliged to do this, has published the Ipso ruling on it. Uh, which I urge people to read. I've, uh, I have myself photographed it and put it on Twitter. And I think there are other ways in which you can easily access it, presumably from the Ipswich website. But the fact is that here's the simple point, and I've made this many times. Before uh, the, the Danish mask study, uh, which was conducted in the spring of 2020, got underway, the general accepted position, both by the British government and the World Health Organization, was that masks didn't really do much good. Uh, so there was no reason to believe that they did. And so when this study, which uh, eventually, after recruiting about 6,000 participants, uh, actually compared the outcomes in about 5,000, 
uh, who, half of whom had worn masks and half of whom hadn't, as to how many had become infected, uh, they could find no, that there was no statistically significant difference between the two. Now, obviously, this doesn't go into the question of whether masks uh, protect others, mm. but in terms of whether they protected those who wore them, there was, there, was, there was no advance on the previous default position, which was no. And there has yet to be any uh, serious experiment on the widespread claim that they protect others. It remains a, it remains a claim. So yes. there you are. But what's I interesting, think... Peter, and you'll remember this from the days back when we were kind of taken off YouTube and there was a lot of nervousness around things that could not be said and things that could not be published. Um, whereas the, the whole situation has moved on now to the point where I think most people uh, would certainly agree that there is no consensus, certainly on the wearing of, 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 of what would be regarded as rather flimsy masks. And certainly the fact that the government has said that there is now no longer a legal requirement to wear one would suggest that it doesn't really help, wouldn't it? I don't know. I, for instance, in various parts of the United States, there are now renewed campaigns after they, the, the mask decrees were dropped there mm. for them to be worn again. And I would not at all be surprised if that happened here uh, after whatever statistics are produced uh, later on this month or in September. So don't don't necessarily assume not. I've always thought that the mask issue was very little to do with the technical evidence of their usefulness and much more to do with the huge, uh, the huge propaganda impact it has of seeing people all around you mm. wearing these masks, uh, of promoting the idea that we live in, in, in grave fear and danger, and also giving everybody the opportunity to signal uh, very clearly by wearing something on their face, not just a badge or, 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 a, or, or, or a tie, mm. but actually wearing something on their face, covering up half their face, declaring that they accede to the government's judgment of this. I think the politics has always been important. That's why everyone's so touchy about it. That's why my criticisms of mask wearing and of the claims that it, that it, that it is beneficial are so furiously attacked. Mm. Uh, some of the attacks I get are absolutely virulent. Mm. Uh, and, and, and astonishing in, in their in their anger yes. and unsuppressed fury, and I just don't think as a subject it justifies that. If it's if, if it's simply about masks, it's actually it's about politics. Yes, it's about whether you agree to all this or whether you don't. And it really, the, the I've also uh, been tweeting a lot about Jonathan Sumption's I've seen that, yes. piece in uh, about the Jeremy Farrer book in, uh, in in the Mail on Sunday yesterday, which yeah. is tremendously good read because it's so beautifully put and explains how what happens to people who, who think that they're they're cleverer than anybody else and their ideas are so good that everybody else jolly well has to follow them, which is basically what this is the kind of society we live in now. Mm. And look, here we are. Uh, it's it's seventeen coming out to eighteen months now, I think, of, of, of all this stuff going on. And the, the any sense that we're ever going to get out of it seems to me to be increasingly hard to believe. Mm. I, I said from the start, you you think this is just going to be temporary? <laughs> we'll still. I wouldn't be at all surprised if we weren't still discussing travel restrictions, masks, all the rest yeah. of it uh, next year. And here's another thing: this morning we got a, a report which actually was carried on the radio of the the British Bucket Company. Uh, saying that the, um, the, the, the there has been a survey of, of, of trains and railway stations showing that there's no evidence of COVID around there. Now, actually, this very similar survey was published in the summer 
of 2020. And uh, the, at that time, a parallel survey had been done on the German and Austrian railways. Mm. And I, I, I wrote about this. It wasn't impossible to find out about. Nobody ever said anything about it. People have been terrified off trains by the belief that if you if you go there, some enormous great COVID virus mm. is going to come and smack you in the face. Uh, the danger on, on railways, this always seemed to me to come from other directions. But anyway, there it is. It's it's now actually being acknowledged what the, what was what was already known from scientific survey uh, a year ago. Well, yes. I mean, I've found an awful lot of stories like that have happened this year. For example, many of the questions that, that certainly I was asking and you were asking as well uh, last year have come to the fore. For example, the one last week where it said that about 25% of those people who were counted as having COVID and were admitted to hospital uh, and as, as a COVID admission had actually gone into hospital for something else and had not gone into hospital with COVID at all and had only been tested once they were in there for some other reason uh, and, and then declared to be part Part of those numbers which which led me to say that if there were 34,000 people in January in hospital with covid because that was the high point of the of the disease and the infection rate then something like 9,000 of them had gone into hospital for something completely different well indeed I, I, my only surprise at that is that the figure of 25% was so low i would have guessed it's probably higher as we've often said the, mm. the place to get covid in, in this country is is a hospital yeah you haven't got it when you arrive the chances are you'll have it when you leave I, that's presumably diminished now as well like like every, everywhere else uh, i i there is a obviously some sort of relaxation but how long will it last mm. and i'm hoping to give blood again soon in this country which yeah. I, I haven't been able to do since april i say this country i mean england i haven't been able to do since april 2020 yes. because of months and months i'm hoping to be able to do it soon I did actually go to Wales to give blood. So maybe the relaxation is there. But I do, I, I just listen every every day for signs that we're going to return uh, pretty rapidly mm. to another form of lockdown. I also worry very considerably. I always do in August. People say oh, August is terribly quiet. I generally work during August because history shows that it's a, it, it's a very important month for major events. Uh, the biggest story I ever covered, the, 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 the Russian putsch against Gorbachev, uh, in, in Moscow in August 1991, August, the First World War broke out in August. So many financial and political crises. So I brace yourself for, for, for all kinds of things which may happen between now and the next bank holiday. I think it could it could be if the if the, if the if the the pro lockdown people get their way, it could even lead to a change in the leadership of our government. Well, I mean, certainly Boris Johnson is playing fast and loose with his majority and his popularity, and he's becoming less and less popular with every day that passes. And so uh, it's an interesting point that you make. But let's talk a little bit more about Lord Sumption, because he was on with Julie Hartley Brewer this morning, and he made a very astute uh, pronouncement, I thought, in which he said, there is more to life than the avoidance of death. Um, yes. Which makes perfect sense to all of us who are listening to that, uh, apart from, of course, the people running the government. But as soon as you say that, then, they, then the, the hordes of uh, <laughs> fanatics gather around and say, oh, don't you care about people dying there? Yeah, of course. <laughs> we can't, it, any kind of discussion of the, 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 this, this sort of generation is immediately transformed into a, into a shouting, screaming match of people yelling at you that you, you, you don't care about whether people die and you want to see the old die. And all this complete uh, slanderous rubbish which is directed against anybody who... Mm. who and here it is again you see it's the intensity and fury of it I, I in all my life whenever i've come up against this it's always made me think well why are these people so furious mm. and the more you examine their argument there is a complete congruence 
between the fury and intolerance of the holders of a position and the weakness of that position. What they are is very worried that people will find out just how weak their position yes. is. Uh, and so any sign of dissent is immediately squashed uh, with, with geezers and, and streams of slime. And that's what happens to people like, like John and such, mm. and to, to, that's what said people like me. If we raise uh, these questions, then, then there are others. So I'm amazed that, that he still continues to say it, given <laughs> the way that he can guarantee to be misrepresented. Yes. Uh, well, one of, the, one of the comments that appeared underneath that tweet that I put out of, of his quote was, well, he's had his life. He's an old man. Of course, he doesn't care about people's lives. And you go, well, that's completely the precise opposite of what he's actually saying. He does care about people's lives and he wants people to have a proper life. I know. I, but, and then there's the guilt by association stuff as well. I, you, you, you say about somebody that, that what he said is sensible. And then later on, he says something that isn't sensible. So you're really made responsible as guilt by association mm. smears for the unsensible things that he said. You, you endorse them. These are the techniques of totalitarians and, and show trials. Oh. Thought policemen, not the techniques of rational, scientifically minded people in a free in a free society. No. And it's, here again, this again, the sky is darkening. The ability to have this is what you do. This is what I do. We 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 make our living. The best part of what we do is 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 enabling rational, informed discussion of major issues in public. Mm. And this is becoming harder and harder. I you know, say yesterday, I actually got semi officially censured for expressing. An opinion. Yeah. Well, people say, "Oh, that's Hitchens. He deserves everything he gets." And, and I understand that people feel that way about me. I am the hated Peter Hitchens. But they should realise that if the principle is accepted, uh, that even semi-official bodies such as Ipso can censure someone for expressing an opinion, then we are here on a slope which is not so much slippery as an avalanche towards mm. uh, towards uh, the end of proper freedom of speech. Once this kind of thing happens, people can take two attitudes. One thing say. Well, we've got to fight against this. The other, which is much more likely, is to say, "Oh, well, I don't want that to happen to me." Mm. So I'll be more careful about what I say. Yes, but that's the other thing as well, isn't it? Because in addition to being very vitriolic and, and angry and furious of uh, whatever your opinion is, they're also very sure of themselves, or they claim to be, that they're right and you're absolutely wrong, where there is no background or backing for that position whatsoever. But I was going to ask you about Ipso because we have the same situation with Ofcom. Uh, in our business, whereby, you know, you can broadcast to a million people, all of whom listen quite happily and move, move along and have the rest of their day going by a cheese sandwich and sit and watch the, park, the cyclists in the park. Um, one person complains and you can lose your job. Now, in your case, it, I don't know how many people complain, but it's probably just one person who complained about what you wrote. Um, and you are forced then to have a newspaper apology printed. Well, yes, that, that, that is how it works. I mean, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with it in principle. Uh, I think that the, the, we, are, we are very bound to try to be as accurate as we can and to tell the truth. And the, the, the clause under which I was censured was actually an accuracy clause. That's mm. what I object to. The aspersion was cast that I'd been inaccurate in, in, in a factual matter rather than expressing an opinion which is unpopular. Uh, but yeah, I don't. I don't. I, 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 deep, deep inside me, I'm a First Amendment person. I believe the, the American system, where Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or the press, is the ideal position. Uh, but we don't have that here. And over many, many years, the, the, the voluntary press regulation has developed 
and is a shield against the much greater danger of official state regulation of the press, which to some extent is what you face in Ofcom, mm. ultimately it's a state black body. Uh, so, and I'm not, I, I think that to, 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 to prevent this kind of thing, then we have to behave extremely well in terms of being accurate. But I, 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 once that gets extended into, into the area of expression of opinion, then I think we're a wholly different, mm. uh, a wholly different region of, of press regulation and a wholly different kind of society from the one in which I grew up. Yes, I think that's right. Peter, stay with us for a moment. We're just going to take a little break. Peter Hitchens with us, man on Sunday columnist. We're going to talk about trains. Uh, we're going to talk about planes. We're going to talk about automobiles and all manner of things. Coming next on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We're talking to Peter Hitchens, man on Sunday columnist. Just before we move on uh, to trains uh, and other forms of transport, Peter, I just wanted to remind you that back in uh, the the point at which last year people were questioning an awful lot of what you were saying, I remember Facebook putting a warning on one of our interviews uh, in which it said some of the uh, information in this article may be misleading, which really annoyed me, actually, because I thought to myself, hang on a minute, between us we've got probably you know, nigh on 100 years of, uh, uh, maybe not quite that many, but not far off 100 years of experience in the media uh, and in dealing with these various stories that we've been covering. And some dweeb in California um, with a couple of hairs on his chin has decided that it might, it might be misleading because it mentions something to do with COVID that they don't agree with. And I thought that was the purview of Facebook rather than actual proper organisations like Ofcom and, uh, and Ipso. Well, there you are then, you see. I, it, it, but... I, I just do feel that we are, it, it happens, as always, by the process of salami slicing. Mm. One small piece here, one small piece here, and then, but in the end, the whole sausage is gone. Yeah. And the, the, there was a certain amount of outrage over what Facebook did, but in my view, nothing like enough. And Facebook remains immensely powerful and unrestrained force in our society for whatever it is a force for. Mm. And the, the general attitude our trade, uh, the general attitude in, in public opinion is one that uh, the, the area of things which can be discussed should grow narrower, narrower mm. rather than wider. Does that, does that mean that, that you're, that's the way it's going? Does that mean that you would hesitate to endorse the government's plan on this new online safety bill, which in which they claim that they're going to threaten some of these big tech companies with massive fines uh, if they don't control certain aspects of what they do? Well, things, all things often aimed against bad things often backfire on those who do them. The, the classic example of this is slightly different, but the national curriculum, which mm. the Conservatives tried to impose on the schools, uh, has ended up uh, by being a, a, yet another way by which, uh, how shall I put it, left-wing ideas have been increasingly inserted into the education system. Mm. So that didn't work. Uh, if you if you make it a principle that you're going to start fining people, then how, how long will it be before... Those fines are turned against the sort of the sort of people that you and I uh, think more highly of. Mm. I, I'm wary of it. I don't quite know what is the right approach to Facebook. I, I think that in, in, in the the original sort of trust busting years of, of American government, when the American government thought it was their duty to to curb over mighty subjects, it would probably have been broken up. Mm. Uh, but I don't know whether any government now has to, has the power to do that. Our, our modern sovereign governments, perhaps with the exception of the Chinese, who don't seem to have any objections to censorship, uh, are any modern sovereign governments in existence with the the actual power to break up these mm. these large bodies? I, I'm not sure that power even exists. No, but they are so big. 
I remember the great way I was a, a Labour correspondent. Everyone said, well, the trade unions were in the mighty 70s. Uh, they came to an end uh, pretty much uh, in the Thatcher era because we, we stopped having any, any industries in which mm. they could recruit members. But it, this doesn't look like a, a the Facebook or the rest of the tech giants don't look particularly vulnerable to me to any obvious political or economic wave. And I fear their power. I yeah. think it's, it's very worrying for free society. Mm. Yes, I think that's right. Let's just end with uh, something that amused me in your column this week, which was your um, um, recommendation that the rather ludicrous idea of ha hooking buses up to overhead <laughs> cables was actually something that had already been invented some decades ago. Uh, it was called a train. <laughs> yeah, people, everybody's constantly moving towards inventing this fantastic thing called the railway train. Yeah. The, the cleverest invention in, tra in transport ever, mm. uh, but, but which we in this country madly destroyed uh, in the 1960s and continue to treat like the poor relation of our transport system. Uh, it, it, it is everything about it is so good. And the key thing about it, I keep saying, the friction between a steel wheel and a steel rail is so much less than that between a rubber tire and a tarmac road that the use of energy by, by railway transport is enormously lower. Uh, leaving aside all the other things, it looks nicer, it doesn't make so much noise, it doesn't create any much, so much stink, it can be fed by electric power gain from practically anywhere. Yet, but the, we have a department for roads, uh, which, which uh, is almost hostile to railways. If it, if it can't actually close them down, it breaks them up into mad, impossibly logical arrangements where the, the trains are run by different people from the track and all mm. the rest of it. There's a, there's, there's a hatred of railways around the world among bureaucrats and governments. South America is now practically devoid of them, for instance. Uh, only really in, in Western Europe and, and, uh, and, and Russia and China are they still even an important means of transport. Mm. Yet they are so good. Why is it we can't recognize this? Railways everywhere. Cape to Cairo, Moscow to Jerusalem, Paris to, Paris to New York under the Bering Strait. Build them, mm. uh, electrify them and, and, and travel by them and send your goods by them and see just how many benefits society gets. Uh, but we won't do it. It's crazy. I know. It really is. Peter, great to talk to you as ever. Thank you very much indeed. Peter Hitchens there from the Mail on Sunday, uh, making perfect sense as ever. Uh, but yet, people still have to have him apologise for things that he said uh, because they don't think that his opinion is right. How ridiculous is that? This is Talk Radio across the UK. Online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. I don't always know whether there's going to be any music or not. I'm sometimes foxed by that, but there, there wasn't any on this occasion. Uh, so luckily I was ready, like a coiled spring. And here's another man here with me today who's like a coiled spring, Mr Lewis McLeod. Morning, mate. Welcome. How are you doing? I'm very well indeed. You were here last week, but you didn't tell me. A secret mission. Uh, yes, I was working in the building. Yes. Were um, you doing voices? Yes, I as, was. As you do. In the sun. Yes. All that, yeah. Yeah, you do a lot of that, don't you? Yeah. The, a lot of that voiceover was quite lucrative. Well, they've been, I, I've, you know, I've, I've got a lot to thank Old News UK for yeah. over the years. And it's been through many different agencies. Mm. You know, it was TBWI, Simon's Palmer. It right. was Euros. And yeah, so they got us into the, the Scottish Sun many years ago. Yes. And, stick. and then yeah. I started doing the Nationals as well. Yeah, I got I good a, at mimicry. I had a stint, funnily enough, when I was running the, the, the Mirror in, in both Wales and Scotland, where we used mm. to have, a, we used to do an advert every um, every night and so they'd ring me up this ad agency would ring up and they would I wouldn't voice it but they'd want me to sort of tell them what was in the and I never knew what was in the paper because right. you know you just didn't know yeah. it's five o'clock in the afternoon you know and they go right uh, what's in the paper tomorrow uh, just tell us and we'll put in an ad it'd be great and I'm going 
Well, I don't know what's in the paper tomorrow yet because nothing, there's nothing really any that's any good. Yeah. What? What? And they just and it's, they used to go into paroxysms because they didn't know how to make an advert if they didn't have any information. I'm like, can't you just do a generic advert and say buy the paper tomorrow? It's great or something. Oh, I think there's you know. the, the the team here are great, Pulse, and then there's yeah. Pete downstairs, Pete, Jonathan, Liz, and Matt. They the are they're very brilliant. fine people. They're very inventive as yeah, well. They I listen think to this show all the time as well, so we should give them a big hello. Yes, hello to them. Yeah, because I I think as well, there's so many restrictions on what you can and can't say. Yes, that they're always sort of working around that. Yeah, but they always manage to kind of push the envelope now. So yes, but also there's this, there's this great thing about media, which I know this is now starting to sound like we have a lovey type conversation. But people <laughs> will be into it. I used to work at the Express. There was a guy who used to go around and he said two words, the only two words, badge and tone. And he wanted to get the badge and the tone right of the paper. And you'd be like, what do you mean? The badge and the, the badge tone. And the tone. Well, because, you know, you don't want to have the wrong tone because obviously yeah. that's not what people want to see. And the same kind of goes for radio. You don't want to have the wrong tone. You want to have the right tone. Like if you're Jeremy Vine, for example. You well, Jeremy Vine, of course. And if he was selling newspapers, there'd be lots of sponsorship by bicycles. There really would. Rally would be the main sponsor. Yes. You must be very pleased, Jeremy, that um, uh, the Highway Code is now favouring uh, cyclists uh, rather than uh, motor car drivers. If I was a villain in Star Wars, I'd say we've built the Death Star. Taxes will be no more. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Big weekend for Boris Johnson. He's going to be a father again. Yes, apparently. congratulations to Boris. Wow. Mm. Yes, uh, he really is the, the best contestant Love Island have never had. Yes. Here he is. <laughs> the premier. <laughs> Get a mine. I mean, goodness me, he's been busy. I mean, he manages to find ways, uh, unusual ways of, of just having more and more children. So, I mean, good luck to him. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, congratulations and all of that. All that. But, yeah. uh, it's a happy event for him, but It'll make his life even more busy. He's almost said he's broke, right? So he's never more children. He's not going to be any less broke, <laughs> is he? Yeah, he's, he's uh, squired more <laughs> the, the, more wins than well now. Rabbi uh, Buns. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope he doesn't end the same way. Um, the point about that, of course, is that uh, now whenever anybody asks him how many children he's got, he won't say, "I never talk about that." He'll just say, "Well, I've got one more than I thought I was going to have." Presumably. Well, of course. <laughs> now, what about Rishi Sunak? Because uh, we're told that he and <clears throat> Boris have fallen out slightly because Rishi uh, has been apparently pushing him towards sort of, you know, maybe making a date for when he might dis- disappear out of Downing Street. And Rishi's been apparently quite overt in, trying, not, it, in trying to get the job. Yeah, well, I think he's the most obvious candidate. And I, but I don't think the, I don't think it's helped by Gove making that announcement about settled will of the Scots oh, to, yeah. you know, I think it, it, it's it's sort of fractious. It's it's very diverse. Yes. And, uh, How are things up there at the moment? Because uh, Alex Salmon's gone very quiet. Yeah, but the well, has he? <laughs> well, I never hear his voice anymore. Well, that's very true. Al- Alper. Yeah, I suppose it's horse racing season, so he's probably down at Musselburgh <laughs> most afternoons. Well, that, uh, that would be true. I've been taking some time off. The weather's been great up there, you see. So, uh, yes. And what about the opening? Uh, because your brother Donald, of course, uh, is beside well, himself uh, lately, he said to me, because they're still not opening the bleeding nightclubs. No, no, it's ridiculous. I don't know when this is. I, I, I actually, we, we're, we're off uh, away in a couple of days to oh, France. Right. And we'll, oh, you're going to France? Yeah, and we, one of the things... They're that, hopeful they might turn around the quarantine, right? Well, that's right, and I had this job lined up, a bit of telly, it was great, we'd all sorted. I was going to go to France, come back on the 16th, right. film it on the 17th, go back on the 18th, and then on the Friday, so this is all sorted on the yeah. Wednesday, but the Friday they'd said, forget it, right. you know, there's 10 days quarantine, right. and then, of course, that was... We thought, well, we're going to have to quarantine in Scotland, mm. we didn't know, and there's just very little information. Yeah. It's completely... Uh, well, I feel, I feel completely and utterly bereft, really, because I, I can't really afford to go anywhere where I'm going to get stuck. Yeah. So, I mean, I could go somewhere and test positive 
because the test said I was positive and I wouldn't be able to come back. Or I could get what Julia got when she came back from Mallorca. Right. She got pinged uh, because apparently somebody on the plane she was on uh, tested positive for COVID. So she had to self-isolate. But she'd already been home for a week, so she only had to do it for four more days. And it was like, well, hang on a minute. So what about the week that she didn't have to do it? Yeah. What happens then? I mean, they can't do anything about that. Anyone that works away from where they're... If, for example, if you're in Scotland, and mm. you've, you know, NHS Scotland don't communicate with NHS England, so right. the app doesn't work. You, the ping... You know, oh, really? It's Pong, really. It doesn't... Pong. Pong. So if I go to Scotland <clears throat> and get pinged... It won't... It'll... <laughs> it'll so I, well, actually, I can't get pinged because I've got the app. But, I mean, if, mm. if I did have the app that was an English one, it wouldn't ping it, me. It wouldn't, it wouldn't work, I don't think. That's I'm mad. To, I know, it's crazy. And the... Yeah, because I've got friends of mine have had the double jab and they've picked yeah. it up again, and right. it, so there's no guarantee. And then no. they're talking about bringing in the third jab, and and then of course in I don't Scotland, think people will take it. I think people. No, just I go, think you're right about that. I think there's a lot of scepticism mm. about it, and I think too, uh, the university program that they've got on Edinburgh, mm. where they want to get every, you know get all the students jabbed up right. on campus, just sell it at the bar. Like they're doing in the states, ninety nine p, and you'll have them all ninety percent right. coverage by the end of Freshers Weekend. Well, yeah, probably, yeah. Or oh, they just give it away. What is going on in America? Well, right. you know, talking. We give the listen. He's giving away. We're giving away money. We're telling hundred dollars. Hundred dollars. Look, yeah. I know that's not great, but in Virginia we're doing guns. Right. So it's a shot for shots. You know, it's, it's great. Unbelievable. So when I, see, I see that Biden actually mistook Barack Obama and Donald Trump the other day, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> He actually talked about the time when he was with uh, the president, yeah. Mr. Trump, but he meant but he, he meant, meant Obama. Oh, right. Well, these things happen, you know. You gotta look. You know, he's a great guy. He's you know, I help him up to the podium. He just needs he just needs a glove puppet to do the work for yeah. him. I think. Yeah, I think he was better with the mask on. Yeah, I think you're right, because oh, his mouth. Oh, no, done it again. But Donald, uh, the Donald's still uh, knocking around. Well, he was in, yes, he was. And they, he did his turning point speech, two mm. hours. And it was like he'd never been away. Yeah. You'd think he had, uh, it's a continuation. Uh, all this stuff about the tax, it's been deftly swept aside yeah. by him. But uh, Yeah, but of course, like the, the people who hate Boris, mm. the people that hate Trump are always telling me and telling anyone that wants to listen, hey, he's going to prison. You yeah. know, definitely go to jail yeah. because the guy in New York, the, uh, the the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of Manhattan, yeah. uh, has got it in for him. Yeah, he's got it in for him, but he didn't like him. But he didn't yeah. necessarily have anything on him. Yeah, and that thing, he's, uh, the the conversation where the notes were taken down, just tell him that the that it was rigged. Yeah. So that it looks like he's kind of coercing the Department of Justice, yeah. which actually it's just an opinion. Right. It feels like it's just an opinion. Yeah. He's always said that. He said that on stage, on yeah. podiums. That right. you know, it's the whole thing was rigged. Yeah, it's a mess. <laughs> but do you remember the, the couple that you'll stood see. out? You'll see. Wade, wow, and you're great. All these turning, and they're all. They're, he actually made a joke about it. It was like Borelli, Moretti, Spanetti. You're a great lot. Look, that's a that's a thing that's going to become a thing. Yeah. Borelli, Moretti, and any. It's like an ice cream. It's great, <laughs> but you're great lawyers. Yeah, great lawyers until he fires them. Yes, this I mean is he did true. go through quite a lot of people, didn't he? Oh yeah, he sort of fires them as, as often as he remembers their names yes. and congratulates them. Right. It's quite terrifying yeah. how he can remember all their names, but I'm going to fire you, but I remember who you are. You're being fired, but I remember who you yeah. are, and thanks. Right. It's a bit like Boris, though, isn't it? I mean, Dominic Cummings. I don't know if you do, if you do Dominic Cummings, but well, a sort of. Yeah. It's a sort of a weird northeastern twang. It, that it? kind of voice. Yeah. Barnard <laughs> Castle. Yeah, I keep saying many, many important things, but nobody's actually listening. No. Nobody cares. What a troublemaker for the party. Well, Jeez. But I mean, why the, did they let me in the door? Yeah, I'm an idiot, apparently, and so are they. They're all idiots. Yeah. 
Why was somebody like me working for them? Yeah. Okay, but right. surely the intelligent thing to do would not to to stick the knife in their back well, if you, you were think, that loyal but to also, them. Can you imagine being married to him? Well, you know, Mrs. Cummings is going, Dominic, dinner's ready. No, wait, I'm halfway through a thread of tweets that are about a thousand words each. There's another tranche to go through. <laughs> I'm going to do another seven-hour interview with the committee. I mean, you move on, yeah. you know? I yeah. mean, we've all had jobs that, you know, didn't work out well. Yeah. You just get another one. And yeah. you go and work somewhere else. You yeah. don't go banging on for years oh, and years yes. and years how awful it all was. It must have been some general. He must have been it must no. have been as busy in, in in government as he was keeping the notes of all his you know, cash. And I, the, the question I've always chips. got for people is how is he able to com- continually reveal all this so called you know, sort of specialised information that should be covered, should it not, by some kind of security blanket or the official secrets act or something. Mm. But he seems to be able to just tell everybody what happened while he was at Downing Street, and nobody seems to care. Yeah, the, what, what, well, that is the official Secrets Act. He would have signed that, and well, surely there's, so. is there a case for that? Maybe. Well, I think so. I think the, I think Boris just takes the view that if we just keep ignoring him, he'll eventually go away. <laughs> and actually, he's probably got the right strategy because nobody cares. He's Literally, like, nobody cares. I'm the political James Shaler. <laughs> He's just going to turn up as a television on the on Hignify. You could actually they could sell, couldn't they? they, they like a Dominic Cummings talking head, and he just put it down. It just talks. Yeah. Mean says nothing from a secure location. <laughs> <Bug off castle. laughs> well, listen, delightful to see you. Oh, you too. Um, if you hang around, I might buy you a beer. Great but stuff. You might have to wait an hour or so. If well, that's, that's fine. Right. Yes. Well, I don't know if it was Nigel you had on. I don't know if that would be long. Come on, that's far too long. That's far too long. Far well, too he, long, he just meet me down the pub. <laughs> well, tell you that I've already had four. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. Uh, Lewis McLeod, thank you very much indeed. Uh, We will see you soon. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.